From Toronto, Canada, The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serra. Thanks for inviting me into your home, your long-haul truck, RV, camper, taxi, your parents' basement, your loft, that greasy spoon just off the interstate, and your cabin in the woods. Welcome and a big shout-out to all of you listening in on one of our affiliate stations, uh, those of you catching the podcast on TalkZone.com, those of you who take The Conspiracy Show with you wherever you go on your mobile device uh, with The Conspiracy Show app, those of you who catch us on the, the YouTube live stream and participate in the uh, the live chat. Just a programming note, however, no live YouTube stream tonight. We'll resume that in a couple of weeks when Albert Vinzel is back and Ryan as well. All right. Wherever and however you're listening, I bid thee the warmest of welcomes, and I thank you for your fine company. What a pleasure to have Rosemary Ellen Guiley with us for the full hour. Normally, she joins us once a month for our paranormal news roundup, but we have uh, managed to get her um, in off the road and uh, grabbed her when she's not off doing some investigation. We've got her for the full hour, and um, we are going to delve into... Well, black-eyed children, this, uh, we'll get an update on. We haven't talked about this in a while. Uh, do you know about the black-eyed children, Ian? Have you been, have you experienced? Have you ever been surrounded in a lonely parking lot by black-eyed children? Well, just as the name implies, these are rather strange, uh, looking humans, if we can use that term. We're not sure what they are. And again, the, uh, the most startling characteristic uh, of them is their eyes are just solid black. Uh, there is no white in the eye, and uh, generally they're wearing, you know, hoodies, and uh, they look kind of forlorn, and and uh, sometimes they're rather pasty in complexion, uh, and all of a sudden they just appear, and oftentimes the person finds themselves uh, alone. Uh, they want to come, they want to get in your car, they want to, they want to get close to you, they want to touch you. Uh, sometimes they arrive on your front door at all hours of the day. They want to, uh, they want to come in, but as we'll discuss. Uh, with Rosemary in just a moment, that's the last thing you want to do. So we'll get an update on uh, black-eyed children. And uh, Rosemary has, um, uh, well, she was in Australia earlier this year, and I think in England, so she's well-traveled. And uh, she's actually uh, co-authored a brand-new book that has all to do with travel and the paranormal. It's called The Road to Strange, Travel Tales of the Paranormal and Beyond, uh, with Michael Bryan and, uh, of course, Rosemary Ellen Guiley. Rosemary, how are you? Well, literally off the road. Mm-hmm. Uh, just recently, today, in fact, I was in Michigan in uh, Sault Ste. Marie, right up in that uh, upper uh, peninsula, and the Michigan Paracon 8 conference. It was huge this year, a very intense weekend, and uh, just got home tonight. Well, this is a fascinating area, combining travel with the paranormal. And it turns out your co-author, Michael Bryan, is sort of a self-described travel psychologist. I'd never heard of such a thing. Tell me a little bit about that. Well, he literally coined the term himself. And um, Michael became interested in uh, how we're affected by travel um, when he was in college. And he studied psychology, and uh, he thought it would be interesting to be a travel psychologist. So he literally coined the term himself, and he's often quoted in major media uh, all over the world about travel stories, uh, having to do usually with the ins and outs and stresses of travel. Um, Nothing paranormal in that regard, but, you know, just how we cope with going to strange lands and cultures and 
um, dealing with uh, things that we aren't accustomed to at home. But in the course of talking to people about their travel stories, uh, Michael began over the years to collect a lot of supernatural and paranormal stories, and they started coming up spontaneously, and then he started collecting them in earnest. Uh, I met Michael, in fact, years ago uh, in ufology. He was very active in MUFON for a good number of years, and uh, we would run into each other at, at conferences. And um, so, you know, we became friends in, in that way. Um, and then uh, both of us uh, kind of went our separate ways. We stopped going to MUFON events. And it was actually a travel synchronicity that brought us back together again uh, several years ago. I was out in the Pacific Northwest visiting family, and I put up a post on Facebook. And uh, he saw it, and he said, wow, this is weird. Guess what? I live... Uh, in Bainbridge Island now, which is just uh, right off the, sh- the shore of Seattle. Right. So we got together and uh, started talking, and uh, this is the book that resulted from it. Uh, he's got uh, a real treasure chest of strange and unusual things that happen to people uh, when they travel, and they're unexpected things. Now, uh, Richard, you know when I travel, I go looking for the unexpected. because You I'm go looking for dating trouble. Dating and... <laughs> researching, so I want really weird things to happen. But the average person goes on a business trip or a vacation. They've got other things on their mind. They're not uh, expecting to be haunted, to meet mysterious people who don't seem to be from this planet or have other strange things happen to them, and yet they do. And that's because travel literally opens the door to the unknown. Is it the case that the people who have paranormal, supernatural experiences while they travel, on vacation, or wherever they go for whatever reason. Are those people that are inclined to have had paranormal experiences before, and so they're more open-minded? Or is it, for example, a person who never experiences a paranormal, suddenly they get on a plane and they go to someplace in London, England, let's say, and because London has such a history uh, and haunted locations, that they're going to experience that. Is it that? Is it one, the other, or a little bit of both? It's a little bit of both. We found that um, many of the people who had odd experiences, even though they were unexpected, they did have prior track records. Then we had uh, other people who were literally dyed-in-the-wool disbelievers and really had to wrestle with how to interpret their experiences. So it's a combination, and yes, I think that uh, sometimes when we go to a, a place that's renowned for unusual things happening, there is an anticipation that something exciting might happen. But many cases, uh, people are not necessarily looking for it. They're sort of blindsided by the paranormal. And of course, the most common thing is uh, a bizarre haunting, ghosts and, and things like that, um, synchronicities, deja vu. Uh, time slips and space distortions, meetings with mysterious people uh, who can't be explained, um, downloads, um, having a sudden expansion of consciousness that connects you to something greater that comes from being in a particular place and you get a what's called a download. Um, all kinds of things happen. And so in The Road to Strange... We have a wide variety of stories um, from all over the world that demonstrate different kinds of things that um, 
are sort of add-on, you know, value add-ons to people's travel experiences. Right. The Road to Strange Tales or Travel Tales of the Paranormal uh, and Beyond, and it's uh, Rosemary Ellen Guiley co-authored uh, with Michael Bryan, the travel psychologist. One of the chapters in the book uh, has to do with time slips. And um, there is a, a particular story in there that I wanted you to just kind of give us a thumbnail sketch of, and it has to do with Stonehenge. Yes. This was a, a woman who went to visit Stonehenge, and it was uh, back before it was completely blocked off to a lot of access. Now you walk around on a path outside the stones, and uh, you you can still get access to the um, the interior of the stones with um, um, under certain conditions with tour groups. But when she visited Stonehenge, uh, access was a little easier, and so she was able to touch the stones and. Um, many people have talked about the powerful energy field in in Stonehenge and that the stones seem to have stories to tell. They speak, they communicate, they sing. And um, I've had those experiences myself in Stonehenge. Uh, and um, uh, I would say that this young woman was primed for change because uh, she was uh, not real happy in her job back home. It was exciting to go to England. She didn't want to go home. She really wanted to embark on something new in life. So going to Stonehenge, uh, a sacred place of intense energy, uh, awakened this creativity in her that had been dormant. And um, she... Uh, she heard sounds from the stones and uh, thought that they were, um, you know, communicating and singing. And she suddenly felt herself able to write songs. So she started uh, writing them down. And uh, this creativity uh, lasted for quite a while. She went some other places in England and uh, got um, uh, more ideas for songs. And so when she went back to America, she got up the courage. She knew she had to do something different, that uh, Stonehenge had awakened uh, an artistic part of her that she knew really needed to be expressed instead of repressed. So she got the courage to quit her job, uh, changed her career, and started uh, composing more chants and songs, which were then recorded and performed. Uh, she was in a, a group herself that uh, performed some of these songs. And so the visit to Stonehenge um, enabled her to make a major um, change in her life that was more creative, more satisfying, and also put her in touch with something deeply spiritual. So what do you think happened there? What caused this birth of artistic talent? Well, she may very well have tuned into the energy frequency of, of the stones. And um, I have had the privilege of being inside of Stonehenge several times. In fact, I once rented Stonehenge for myself and a friend. You, and it was just, you what? You, I did, you yeah. You rented? I rented Stonehenge. Uh, actually, I did it twice. This was um, back in the day when uh, after hours uh, for... Richard, you will love this, a mere 10 or 15 pounds, mm -hmm. you could rent Stonehenge for yourself for two or three hours, you know, from closing until dusk or uh, from dawn until opening. Amazing. Ian is nodding his head. You know about this, Ian? You should rent Stonehenge mm -hmm. and perform there. Well, I don't think you can do it anymore oh. because okay. um, 
they, they, uh, they, British, uh, I think it's British Heritage that um, operates Stonehenge. And um, I think they realized that they were missing a big cash cow here, so they changed it and uh, upped it to several hundred pounds um, and then started limiting uh, it to small groups. So I'm not sure what the rules are now. Uh, tour groups can uh, take small groups inside of Stonehenge after hours. But um, the stones have an energy and a voice to them. And my feeling was that Veronica, which was the, the young lady's name, probably had, uh, like I said, she was primed for change. She had a latent artistic ability uh, that she hadn't really developed that was waiting to come out. And she probably had some latent psychic ability, too, that enabled her to get into this vibe atmosphere in, inside of the stones. And she may have literally tuned into the frequency of the stones, which for some people comes across as song or storytelling. All right. Well, we have more stories uh, to come. We'll return on the other side. The Road to Strange, Travel Tales of the Paranormal and Beyond. Co-author Rosemary Allen Guiley is with us. Stay here on The Conspiracy Show. Be right back. The owners of the system are asleep. Now we can play. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. And we are back with Rosemary Allen Guiley. The book is The Road to Strange, Travel Tales of the Paranormal and Beyond. Uh, I don't want to put you on the spot, but Rosemary, what number is this? Is, you gotta be, it must be close to 70 books by now. Um, I am close to 70. I haven't tallied them up, I, but I think I'm right around 68 or 69. <laughs> and um, I just had another one come out in the, a couple of weeks ago. Uh, werewolves and Dogmen, I think that does bring me up to 69. All right. <laughs> uh, you are so prolific. It's really astounding, quite frankly. We were talking about time slips, and uh, this makes up one of the chapters in The Road to Strange, Travel Tales of the Paranormal and Beyond. I mentioned your co-author, Michael Bryan, is a travel psychologist. He's a, actually he's a clinical psychologist, Ph.D. And that's interesting that here we have you know, someone a man of letters, a scientific discipline, although, you know, it's not as cut and dried when you're talking about the mind, obviously, as perhaps, you know, the uh, other anatomy, but still, it's fascinating to me that someone like Michael Bryan, a clinical psychologist, would be so into this. What do you think? Well, when you consider Michael's personal interests in the paranormal uh, and UFOs, it makes a lot of sense. And Michael is one of these lifelong experiencer persons as well. And he describes it as his inner psychic. He has a, uh, a lot of uh, experiences that are along the lines of synchronicities and also premonitions. And he's put some of his own experiences uh, in the book. I put one of my own in, and um, my husband Joe has one of his uh, in the book as well. So Michael's actually an ideal kind of person uh, to think along these lines and to collect these stories and also to uh, to coin the term and uh, sort of a sub-discipline of psychology, uh, travel psychology, because it gets into all of these uh, strange things that affect us in many ways, not just emotionally or psychologically, but psychically as well. I did want to talk about another time slip because you mentioned your husband Joe, and if memory serves, I think you met at the Mothman Festival, didn't you? Did we you did, yes. Right. And there is a time slip involving 
someone who attended the Mothman Festival, but he ended up at the wrong event at the wrong time. Tell me about that. This was a very strange story that involved a number of us, uh, including my, my husband and I and two of our friends whose name are Ken and Lee. And um, West Virginia, by the way, has a lot of strange places to it. And I have collected other time and space uh, slip stories from uh, around the state as well. But uh, this was an, an annual Mothman uh, event. It goes on every year. It's coming up, in fact, uh, third week in September. This was 2015. And it involved a man. We gave him the pseudonym Ron uh, for privacy reasons. But uh, Ron lived in Indiana, and his purpose was to, uh, to actually drive to South Carolina to attend a political rally. Uh, during the presidential campaigning. He was a Republican. He was going to go hear Republican candidates. And he mapped out his route uh, and timed it uh, so that he would get there in time for uh, the, the things that he wanted to hear. And something just went horribly wrong along the way. And this is what happens to people when they're driving. They're driving along, and all of a sudden, uh, one of the first things they notice is they're they're losing time. Uh, I've had a few cases where people gain time, but usually they lose time, and they can't explain how they've lost time because they haven't uh, detoured, they haven't uh, done excessive stopping, but suddenly their timing is off. And uh, so he keeps driving along, and uh, then he finds himself that somehow he's gotten on the wrong roads, and his GPS quits working. So he doesn't know how to get back on track, and he drives around um, uh, not quite knowing what to do, getting more and more worried, um, not sure where he is, and he thinks, well, maybe I better get a map. So he gets off the the uh, freeway, and he can't even find a place that sells a map, a road map. It takes him quite some time to find one. And then he thinks he gets himself uh, back on course. The, the short of it is that he winds up in Point Pleasant, West Virginia, which is way, way off course from where he was going in South Carolina, and he gets in kind of late at night. Um, now, Joe and I were just arriving at about 9 p.m. Um, on a Friday night before the conference started, and uh, uh, we walked in to check into the, the low hotel there in town, and he was in front of us. And um, he turned around and uh, said to me, oh, you must be uh, one of the sentinels, uh, because um, the woman at the desk had said I was one of the presenters. He said, oh, you must be one of the sentinels. I didn't know what he was talking about. Uh, he seemed to think that he was in South Carolina um, at um, another hotel and that he was going to be participating in this political event, even though pe people kept telling him he was in Point Pleasant, West Virginia. How far, how many miles adrift had he gone? Hundreds. Hundreds. Oh, literally my. hundreds uh, of miles. And um, he, he wanted to know how, uh, I said, well, that, you know, th this is uh, another event, you know, it's... Uh, and he, he said, well, how, how far away is that? I said, oh, well, you're quite off course. So instead of getting in his car and trying to figure things out, he checks into the hotel, gets up the next day, and starts asking where the political meetings were. Wow. Uh, he, still, he still didn't, he was still in a fog. He was literally in a fog. And uh, so he ran into our two friends, uh, including the one who wrote the story, Ken, 
and uh, asked them about the, the Sentinel meetings, and they told him, uh, no, you're in Point Pleasant, West Virginia, and this is the Mothman Festival. He walked across the street to the Mothman Museum and tried to get into it because he thought that's where the political meetings were, and they told him, no, this is a museum. And he wandered around town all day. Uh, last seen in the lobby of the hotel on his cell phone talking to someone um, saying that he had now finally figured out how to get to South Carolina, uh, even though the event that he wanted to go to was nearly over. Oh, my. And we never saw him again. Oh, oh. you know, that's a great story. But, you know, it would have been a topper if he said he was going to a Barry Goldwater event. <laughs> 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 indeed, indeed, it would it would have been wild. Um, now, the the thing about time and space slips is that that people do get in a fog. They get very confused, and uh, sometimes they're. We we were wondering if he was really truly aware of his surroundings. Uh, sometimes fogs come around people, and they literally can't see anything around them, um, or they uh, they see. Uh, literal changes in the physical environment. For example, this um, this highway in West Virginia where truckers have reported time and space slips. Uh, they're driving along, same thing happens, they lose time even though they haven't gotten off the road and um, they can't figure it out and then suddenly the landscape starts changing. It's not the usual familiar route and not only is it unfamiliar, um, Weird things are missing, like uh, guardrails to the highway, center lines, telephone poles. There doesn't seem to be any human activity around, no other vehicles, no people, not even any animal life. And uh, uh, one story that I got from a trucker was uh, it took him uh, six hours to do a three-hour trip, and uh, he got worried because uh, he kept passing road signs for um, real towns, but nobody was in them. No buildings, no people, no vehicles, no nothing. Oh, wow. And then suddenly he finds himself back on the familiar route again. And he found out from other truckers that uh, similar things had happened to them. So we wondered if this Ron fellow had fallen into one of these fogs where he was literally seeing things and experiencing things differently than the rest of us around him. Right. I mean, often I associate, uh, and many people associate, lost time with a potential alien abduction, but it, they they actually are aware uh, of still being in the car driving. They're just, there's, things don't, things aren't as they should be. That's right. Exactly. Hmm. And things are familiar, but yet they're not. Like a dream. Like a dream, or uh, maybe they have a bleed through to some sort of parallel reality hmm. uh, where things have just sort of shifted slightly off. Now, uh, you know, we have to wonder if uh, people get into some of these uh, um, spatial distortions and time distortions, do some of them not come back? True enough, true enough. Well, there's uh, a lot of missing people uh, that just vanished for no, no explainable reason. Rosemary, you mentioned that you wrote one of these uh, stories, and yours has to do with Gettysburg, which, of course, is just, I'm guessing, just crawling with spirit activity. But these are children, right? Yes, it's the ghost kids of Gettysburg, and you're absolutely right. Gettysburg uh, is chock-a-block with residual hauntings. 
from the Civil War battle uh, that took place there in 1863. Uh, all of the town was affected, all of the farms and countryside. Um, many uh, uh, homes are haunted in Gettysburg. Uh, I would say just about every uh, building in Gettysburg has something rattling around in it. And uh, this was a, a trip that I took there around 2004, and uh, I was with a paranormal group, and it was an investigation weekend. Uh, what was remarkable about my experience was I captured the most extraordinary ghost photograph I have ever taken, and uh, it was uh, a, an impression of these two children who looked like they might have been Civil War era. I was staying uh, with the group in a haunted bed and breakfast, which had been a farm at the time on the edge of the battlefield called the Balladary Inn. That's what it's called now. And it had served as a hospital. Um, many soldiers had died there. Uh, there were bloodstains still on the dining room uh, where the operating theater had been set up. And uh, the grounds are haunted. Uh, and the room that I was in, I was in a little carriage house with a, a small group of people. We had um, sounds of furniture scraping all night long. Uh, this is a very common thing that ghosts do. They seem to like to drag heavy things around, but you can never find the heavy things they're dragging around. They just make those sounds. Well, I went and took a lot of photographs uh, on the inside and outside, and I did not see anything. Um, as I was taking the photographs, but when I looked at one image of uh, um, the glass, the sliding glass door and window on one side of, of my room, there looking out at me were very clear outlines, and the photograph is in the book, uh, of what appears to be a girl or um, a young woman, perhaps, um, and a boy. And you can see their faces. She's wearing a bonnet that looks like it has a ribbon in it. Um, he looks like he has a little jacket on, and uh, one arm is holding something that looks like a box or a case next to him. Um, I showed this photograph to many experts, including non-paranormal photographic experts, and no one could have an explanation for it as to how these images might have occurred naturally. There is something about reflective surfaces that encourages the manifestation of spirit faces. And um, this was not a reflection on the glass. The images are quite clear. And I'm looking uh, at it now. I, I, indeed, I am looking at it now. And um, Really sh shocking to me. It you know, is. I did get a shock. It is. I had to look more closely because I couldn't see the girl's face. Now I see it. And... She's to the right, the young man or the boys to the left. I thought he looked more of an, like an older person because I, I don't know, I, maybe I'm not seeing it the same way you are. I see a kind of a mustache, but I could be wrong. Regardless, yeah, that is remarkable. All right, we'll take a time out, Rosemary. We'll come back and uh, we'll delve into more stories of the strange and uh, we'll also talk about black-eyed children. We'll get an update on that as well. The Road to Strange, Travel Tales of the Paranormal and Beyond. Rosemary Ellen Guiley, her co-author, Michael Bryan. Back with more. Stay with us. Pop quiz for all business owners. If you're not incorporated and someone sues your business, which one of these can you lose? Your home, your car, or your life savings? The answer? All three. Because if you're not incorporated, it's not just your business that can be sued. It's you, too. 
which means you could lose everything. Once business owners realize the risk of not being incorporated, they usually scramble to incorporate or form an LLC. To make it quick and easy, Incorporate.com is now giving away a free incorporation toolkit to all business owners, including exclusive information on how to start and grow your business. For your free incorporation toolkit, call now, 1-800-943-4538. Protect your financial future. At Incorporate.com, they don't provide legal or financial advice. They just make incorporating or forming an LLC quick and easy. Call now for your free incorporation toolkit. They're giving them away for free at 1-800-943-4538. That's 1-800-943-4538. 1-800-943-4538. Message and data rates may apply. Warning. Texting while driving is illegal just about everywhere. So if you want 2020 vision and you're driving, pull over when you can. Because a life-changing offer is just one text away. The LASIK Vision Institute is now offering absolutely free evaluations and dramatically low prices on high-quality LASIK. Text the word CLEAR77 to 350350 to get the latest FDA-approved LASIK technology for a fraction of what others charge. Text to schedule your free appointment to see if LASIK is right for you. Results may vary. Don't miss out. When you text CLEAR77 to 350350, you'll also get an extra 20% discount off our already low-cost services. We've already performed over a million procedures. Today, it's your turn. Discover how you can get the quality LASIK experience you've always wanted for a fraction of what others charge. This great offer is just one text away. Text CLEAR77 to 350350. That's C-L-E-A-R 77 to 350350. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. We are back with Rosemary Ellen Guiley. We've got her for the full hour. And uh, we've been talking about uh, some of the stories in her latest book, The Road to Strange, Travel Tales of the Paranormal and Beyond. Michael Bryan, her co-author. We can get this through VisionaryLiving.com. Is that the, the best way? You can get it through VisionaryLiving.com. It's also up on Amazon. And it's available as an ebook as well um, on um, Kindle, uh, Barnes & Noble Nook, uh, Kobo. And it's also available as an audio book on Audible. Ah, all right. Now, uh, you mentioned Joe, your, uh, your lovely, um, husband, and, um, he, uh, he wrote a story in here as well. Now, uh, is that the Roadside Cowboy? Yes, it is. All right. Tell us about Joe's, uh, Roadside Cowboy experience. This took place in Arizona. We were traveling from Sedona to Phoenix. And uh, took place in 2015. Uh, interestingly, the same year that uh, we had the weird experience in um, Point Pleasant with the um, the Ron fellow. Right, right. You kind of wonder if these things go in waves. But uh, we had spent some time in uh, Sedona visiting friends, and that's a highly charged area. Many people have experiences of all kinds there. And uh, the highway that that uh, runs down uh, to Phoenix has uh, some kind of spooky, strange stretches to it as well, uh, where you sort of feel like you're entering um, unusual areas where um, odd things might happen. And we were commenting this as uh, we were driving uh, down um, uh, in the evening, and uh, uh, I could see also some dark shadows in the in the median between uh, the two lanes, um, uh, you know, the opposite lane going the other direction, uh, and ours, and traffic thinned out. Usually on a Sunday night, there's quite a bit of traffic going from Sedona back to Phoenix, and 
we found ourselves kind of strangely isolated on the road. And that's also characteristic of a lot of unusual experiences where people find that they're suddenly alone on a lonely stretch of road. And so now this was um, uh, something that Joe saw, and I didn't. And that's also not unusual for one person to see something strange and another person not. But Joe sees this figure standing uh, on the side of the road, which would have been the passenger side, and um, he just looked very out of place. He was dressed in kind of old-fashioned cowboy clothing, and he was standing on the side of this highway um, holding a lantern as though he was waiting for someone. Did Joe spot him way up in the distance and mention anything, or not until you passed by him? After we passed by him, he said, did you see that guy by the road? And uh, and I said, no, I hadn't. And, you know, we were going at a pretty good clip, so he did not slow down. Uh, but he had on, on a cow, cowboy outfit, the jeans, the shirt, the boots. He seemed he was very tall and thin. And Joe said he looked old. Um, and uh, he had a, a, a very bushy mustache. And he was... Um, standing very stiffly and rigidly. What was odd about it was, Joe said as we drove by, it felt like he made eye contact, as though this guy was waiting for someone, maybe us, um, by the side of the road. Hmm. And um, I hadn't seen this figure at all. Even though you were looking in the same direction. I mean, if he's got a lantern and it's in the middle of the right. night... It, 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 would, it should have caught my eye. Sure. It should have caught my attention, especially after I'd been already noticing that there were uh, black shadows along the side of the road. And uh, there was, we couldn't figure out why would there be this figure uh, standing really along a busy highway holding a lantern as though he was waiting for someone and making eye contact with people, not trying to flag people off the road like someone needing help. Uh, and it just seemed to be a big mystery. Right. If it's, I mean, if someone was out, outside and they were on the side of the road because they were looking for something or they were wandering from a, a disabled vehicle, they would have a flashlight, not a... Not, not a, a lantern. Not a lantern, not a coal oil lamp. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And this area in Sedona, there, there are a lot of trickster figures seen in, in Arizona and, and especially around this area. And so uh, we wondered if that's what we had seen, um, you know, just some unknown spirit or entity that takes a form, and a lot of them will uh, hang out by roads uh, along the sides of roads or stand in the middle of the road, run alongside of cars. Uh, they might be uh, half human, half animal. What would you have done if he had tried to flag you down? My guess is I think uh, Joe would have slowed down, and uh, maybe that w I would have been able to see him, perhaps. We probably would have investigated. <laughs> That's what separates you from me. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we'll take a time out, come back. We'll talk black-eyed children. On the other side, Rosemary Ellen Guiley is with us, VisionaryLiving.com, the website. The Road to Strange, Travel Tales of the Paranormal and Beyond. Back with more in a moment. My name is Richard Serrett. You're listening to The Conspiracy Show. Fasten your seatbelt and put your tray in the upright position. You're about to leave everything you know behind on The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. 
We are back with Rosemary Ellen Guiley. And uh, just a reminder, uh, her brand new book, co-authored by the travel psychologist Michael Bryan, is called The Road to Strange, Travel Tales of the Paranormal and Beyond. And you can get that at Amazon and also through her website, visionaryliving.com, visionaryliving.com. Let's get an update on on black-eyed children. You and I, I think, did one show quite a while ago, and it may be the only time I've ever discussed black-eyed children on this program, but it is fascinating. And from time to time, I read new accounts on the Internet. Do you have any plans for a new investigation of black-eyed children? Have you been recently contacted by an eyewitness? What do you know? What do you hear? Black-eyed kids and also black-eyed adults, that's another version of the phenomenon, um, they are entities that are on my radar, and I do uh, track stories about them and look for shifts in patterns and trends and things like that because it seems that um, phenomena, with a capital P, uh, they mutate, and uh, they'll follow certain patterns for a while, and then they mutate into a different form or a different behavior pattern. And black-eyed kids certainly are uh, at the high strangeness end of the spectrum. Now, uh, some people say that, well, this is just a created story like a Slender Man because it seemed that uh, there's a point of origin. Um, I call it just a point of publicity because we really don't know how long uh, these things have been around, and they seem to be related to other kinds of weird phenomena. But in 1998, there was a journalist, who t- uh, published an account where he was in a parking lot uh, where there was a movie theater, and he was approached by two weird-looking teenage boys who had uh, solid black eyes who claimed that they wanted to go see the movie playing in the theater, uh, but they had left their money at home, and they needed a ride back home. Uh, so would, they, would he kindly give them a ride back to their mother's place? And uh, he didn't like the looks of them, uh, of course, and they exuded this kind of evil uh, vibe to them. And uh, so he refused, and they got uh, rather demanding and pounded on the window. And you must let us in, you must let us in. And uh, he, he turned on his ignition and tore out of there. Well, that unleashed uh, a flood of similar stories. And I think that that's why I call it the point of publicity, not not origin, because all it takes is for something to land on people's radar, and they say, oh, my God, that happened to me, too. And so now, since then, we've been getting more and more accounts of black-eyed children. And um, they are reported to have these solid black eyes. Uh, they do approach people. They will come and knock on uh, doors and asked to come in because they need to use the phone or they're lost or they need help, uh, they need a ride, they will approach people in parking lots. And um, people report uh, being frightened by them, but also they have side effects that if you make prolonged eye contact with them or if they manage to make physical contact with you in some way, you are adversely affected. Uh, your health may suffer. Uh, you may have odd accidents, uh, uncanny things happen, but usually it's a de- deterioration in health. Uh, that's been a very consistent pattern. Um, they've been reported all over the world, and uh, there was even a case last year in England where a woman claimed, a, a Bristol woman claimed that a group of black-eyed people, uh, three adults and a teenager, 
um, that she and her boyfriend had encountered on a towpath um, that um, she believed that they affected him in some adverse way, and uh, he tragically died on the same towpath uh, a year later. She said uh, her story was that he had uh, hallucinations of somebody uh, jumping into the gorge along the towpath, and he jumped in uh, trying to save them and um, and killed, and he was killed in the process. Oh, my. So whether or not that's a genuine connection... Right. I mean, all of the accounts of black-eyed kids and black-eyed adults I've read are online. To what extent have you investigated this? Have you sort of been on the ground and been face-to-face and talked with eyewitnesses yourself, or how have you researched this? Well, I do have a very unusual case, and it comes from Arizona. Uh, Again, Arizona is a very strange state, but this was a woman who contacted me, and um, she knew I was doing black-eyed kid research, and uh, she had uh, a very unusual story. Uh, she was someone who was naturally psychic and mediumistic. Um, her daughter was pregnant, and she said that she began getting psychic impressions that something was wrong with the fetus and something was attached to the fetus. And she tried to tune into it. And when she tuned in, she was confronted with, a vision, a clairvoyant vision of this black-eyed kid standing in front of her. And this entity said, uh, announced in a a very uh, arrogant way that it it was sucking the soul out of the fetus. Uh, It was taking the life force out of it. And uh, she became quite alarmed because her daughter was having some um, difficulty with her pregnancy and she felt that there was something desperately wrong with her baby. So the uh, mother then felt that, uh, you know, she looked for ways to, how can we get rid of this thing attached to the fetus? And she was able to find a, uh, a healer in Australia who located this, uh, this entity somewhere in the spirit planes using dowsing rods and was able to expel it from the fetus um, using uh, Bible verses and spiritual invocations and calling in high-level spiritual beings. So apparently this entity, this black-eyed, what manifests as the black-eyed girl, was expelled from the fetus, and then it started hanging around outside this woman's house. But it couldn't come in. And this is the weird thing with the black-eyed people, that... They can't come in just like the vampire myth. They mm-hmm. can't come in unless you invite them in. Ah, well, that's good to know. So uh, it, it was hanging around her house, looking in windows, and uh, she did get a photograph of it. It's not a very clear photograph. Um, a lot of these things aren't for various reasons. And uh, her daughter was able to uh, to have um, her childbirth. And uh, the baby was ill for a while, but then it recovered and uh, seems to be okay now. But after that, then um, the woman, the grandmother, uh, started seeing uh, ships in the sky. uh, And it was like they were opening up portals to the earth. And through the portals were coming these hordes of black-eyed people, black-eyed kids, and her feeling about them was that they were half alien, half demonic beings, 
and uh, they were all of evil purpose. And uh, she uh, she thinks that um, this is what they want to do. They want to attach to people. Um, they're vampiric. They suck off the life force. Um, and that would be uh, an example of what happens to people when they have these uh, adverse health effects after a black-eyed kid encounter. That's a vampiric loss of the life force. Right, right. So what is your sense? Do you think that they are some type of alien hybrid? Do you think they're interdimensional, maybe related to the shadow people? What do you think they are? Well, possibly they could be a form taken by jinn, because the jinn are shapeshifters, and they like to manifest in multiple ways, and they do prey upon the life force of people. They have a very strong connection to men and women in black, who are usually associated with UFO and ET encounters, but very pale-faced. Black-eyed kids usually have pale faces. Um, Men in black uh, don't always um, have the black eyes, but they're dressed in black. Um, They have a deleterious effect on people, a wasting away. They want to come and visit you. Um, and uh, there are women in black as well. And these figures have been documented throughout history, not just modern times. Um, and my feeling is that beings that were described as um, phantom monks or uh, dark ghosts, um, um, ladies in black, you know, uh, uh, those sorts of uh, apparitional kinds of experiences might have been different versions of these in the past. Interesting. I'm wondering, uh, in some cases, remember we had that big, well, it was all over the news within the last year, where where these people were dressing up as clowns, and they were being very menacing to passers-by on the streets, and they caused kind of a, not an hysteria exactly, but the, the news reports were filled with these stories of these kind of uh, evil clowns running all over the place. And I'm wondering if there may be some... In, this may explain some of these instances where people are just, I don't know, you can, go, you can buy contact lenses now, right, and, and, and change the color of your eyes. And yeah, so they're called sclera contacts right. that give you the alien look. I'm sure that may explain some of these cases, not all of them. What do you think? Well, we certainly have to factor in the possibility of hoaxing, and hoaxing does take place. But uh, I do see a connection with the Phantom Clowns as well. And, in fact, in the new issue of Fate magazine, which just came out a couple of weeks ago, I have a major article on Phantom uh, Killer Clowns and that that wave that we had uh, just last fall with uh, a rash of sightings. And these are all part of a dark side of um, entity encounters where there's shape-shifting, there's, there are distorted, disturbing forms, um, and uh, bad things happen to people when they come in contact with them, and they, take, they just take different uh, guises. Uh, and so is it like one entity, like the jinn shape-shifting into all of these things, or are there a variety of entities that prey upon human beings um, by taking forms that they know are going to be uh, disturbing and, and fear-instilling to people as uh, a way of getting that life force energy. So I, I think that all of these are interconnected. And with black-eyed uh, kids, if uh, I had one uh, email my entire career in this uh, you know, conspiracy paranormal arena, one uh, from a woman who was... Um, 
I'm trying to remember the location. It must have been in the United States because she mentioned being in a Kmart parking lot, and we no longer have Kmart up here. And uh, again, suddenly scrambling to get into her car, and she was approached by, I'm not sure how many, three, four perhaps, of these black-eyed kids. She described them as being sort of dressed in kind of a what we used to call the grunge kind of attire, hoodies, and they had kind of scraggly long, greasy hair and, and again, very pale complexion and the black eyes and uh, just wanted, the, uh, were asking for a ride and she just had a very awful feeling, obviously. Uh, that's my only in, in, encounter. Um, very quickly, what do you do if you're approached in a in a, a lonely place by these black-eyed kids? Get away as quickly as possible and try not to make eye contact and definitely do not make uh, physical contact. When people are caught off guard, especially by kids, you know, it's a natural impulse for an adult to want to help a kid in trouble. Uh, so it, as soon as you realize that something is off, you've just got to get away. Absolutely. Rosemary, always a pleasure. Congratulations on The Road to Strange. And uh, we'll talk to you next month. Thank you, Richard. Always a pleasure. Rosemary Ellen Guiley, VisionaryLiving.com. That's a hit for us. My thanks uh, to Ian Robertson. Back next week with a brand new program. In the meantime, don't be afraid. There is nothing concealed that won't be revealed and nothing hidden that won't be made known. What you hear in the dark, speak in the light. What I say in a whisper, proclaim from the housetops. Move over, Aphrodite. I'm coming home. Anyone can create a podcast on the web. In fact, there are millions of them online. But if you want quality Internet talk radio, just remember this address, TalkZone.com. TalkZone is Internet talk radio for planet Earth with talented hosts, great guests, and good conversation. Ready to share your thoughts and ideas with a global audience? Become a TalkZone show host yourself. Learn more at TalkZone.com. Internet talk radio for planet Earth. Talk